Let's go through every single package installed on a Linux install DVD, specifically Slackware 14.2. Um, of course, these are all open source packages that I'm talking about on this show, so they probably can still apply to you, even if you're not running Slackware and even if you're not running Linux. These are open source packages, so you can download the source code and run them on any computer, whether you're running Linux, Mac, Windows, BSD, doesn't matter. You can learn probably something from this episode. So let's get started. We're up to the E package set, the E software series, as they say, of Slackware, and it contains exactly one application, which is Emacs. Why Emacs gets its own category, I assume, is historical. Emacs is not a terribly small application. It's, it's quite large, and so I'm assuming that at some point in the past, it just made sense to have Emacs in its own category. I don't exactly understand it. Um, to be honest, I would have thought that it would have just gone in with the X application, the XAP software set. But for whatever reason, E for Emacs is the is, is still a thing. And I am, of course, an Emacs user. You may or may not know that. If you've heard my show for a very long time, you might have caught on to it. But yeah, I use Emacs, and um, Emacs is one of my favorite applications. I use it every day for good segments of the day. It is just my default go-to editor, and there are a couple of different reasons why that's the case, and I will get into those eventually, but, but first, just sort of up at the top here, I want to get you started with Emacs if you want to get started with Emacs. And if you don't want to get started with Emacs, that's okay. I'm going to briefly mention the um, sort of the reputation of there being a an eternal uh, war between Vim users and Emacs users. And ever since I've been in open source, I've heard of this eternal struggle, and yet I've not witnessed it even once. So I'm assuming that there must be some very old truth to it from long, long ago, when no one had anything better to argue about than whether you use this open source editor or that open source editor. These days, I feel like most people probably have bigger fish to fry, bigger problems to tackle, and the the idea of arguing over whether you use this open source solution or that open source solution just doesn't seem to be I don't know. I've not witnessed it in real life. I've never seen that struggle actually happen. And and I include myself in that. I am not one of those people who cares. I don't feel like there's any moral imperative of whether you use Vim or Emacs. And in fact, I think there's a great argument for doing neither, for, for both Vim and Emacs to be set aside as specialized applications and for something a little bit more sensible, like Nano, for instance or Joe, or something where you open it up and it's really obvious that it's a text editor. You open a text editor and you are in text editing mode. I don't think that's really that much to ask of a text editor. And I'm talking here very specifically about the default text editor on a Unix system, which historically, I guess, has been not Vim, but Vi. People talk about Vim and Vi as, as if though they're the same thing. They're not. If you try to use Vi after having used Vim, you will be shocked at the features lacking from Vi. 
and I'm sure there are some Vi users out there who, who love Vi for what it is, but a lot of people, I think, actually love Vim and wouldn't be as comfortable on Vi. But Vi is the, the thing that comes with most Unix systems. I don't know of one that doesn't ship with Vi or some version of Vi. And I think that's that can be sort of a mistake. I think that's a little bit weird to provide people a text editor that when you enter it, you cannot edit text. You are in a different mode than editing text mode. I think that's odd. And frankly, the same would go for Emacs. When I launch Emacs, uh, especially, I guess I should do it in a terminal. If I launch Emacs in this terminal, so uh, Emacs-NW for no window, then, well, actually, because I have it hacked to, to pieces, it actually does exactly what I, I want it to do. So uh, I guess I could do this. There we go. Um, in dash nw for no window dash q to ignore the config file so now i'm in stock emacs and there's a greeting screen telling me that you know welcome to to GNU emacs and here's how to to get help on on how to use this application because there's really no hope from this screen there's there's no hope to pres- to to progress from this screen really um there it tells you how to get help so control h control h control h you can activate the menu bar with M backtick. Okay, so M backtick. No, that didn't work. M backtick. No, that didn't work. Oh, okay. M is alt. Okay, so let me try that. Alt backtick uh, says that's undefined as well. Okay, well, how about um, how about alt shift backtick? No, that's a tilde or something. Don't know how to get out of this screen, and I use Emacs every day. Um, of course, I could do an escape and then backtick. And that activates the menu bar. Who knew, right? How would you know that? Um, because it says, it says, if you have no meta key, you may instead type escape followed by the character. Okay, so maybe you'll get there, and then you're in the menu bar, apparently. Although you're not exactly in the menu bar, because now the menu bar is reflected in the bottom of the window in potentially very dark blue text against the black background, depending on your, your settings. Um... And then it tells you menu bar up, down to change, page up to menu. Um, so, yep, page up and page down does seem to work. But then you get transferred into this other place, um, in, into a, yet another buffer. And so now, and you do have keyboard shortcuts, so I guess that's pretty good. Um, but it it is tough. It is not easy. Uh, capital T for Tetris. There we go. Okay, so I am playing Tetris at least. So that's more than I can do with with Vi, I guess. So I guess when I said that I don't care whether you use Vim or Emacs, I really do care. Uh, You should use Emacs because at least you can get to Tetris from sort of knowing pretty much nothing. Okay, I'm going to quit that as much as it pains me to quit Tetris. Okay, so um, both of those applications are very difficult to use, I think. I think they're a mistake to throw in there as sort of the default anything. They're specialized applications. They should not be default for anything. Nano, if nothing else, for lack of, of anything better, Nano ought to be the default. Um, oh, I didn't mean Joe. Did I mean... What did I mean? Joe... No, I guess I didn't. There's some other application. Jed. Jed? No, not Jed. What's the one? It's like it's a word star clone or something. I don't know. I guess I'll I'll just not remember that right now. Anyway, I think Nano or or that one word star clone 
or or it has a word star mode or something i think those would be much more sensible applications to have as a default editor and i love it when i see a distribution that has nano as the default editor rather than vi i just i i admire that i respect that and i promote that however as i've said i'm also an emacs user and i really really love emacs so in spite of the fact that I don't necessarily recommend it to anyone, especially not as a first editor, um, I do strongly recommend it. I, I, I think it's a really good application if you want it to be. If you don't want it to be, just choose some other open source editor. Honestly, there's Atom at atom.io. That's A-T-O-M dot I-O. It's a GitHub project, which means that technically now it's a Microsoft project. I don't know how much longer it'll be around, but it is still a really nice editor, and it's it's got a lot of extensibility and so on. There's VS Codium, which is like VS Code, but with all the Microsoft cruft uh, and te uh, te telemetry ripped out. VS Codium is nice, I guess, people say. There's, of course, Nano. There's Notepad QQ. There are so many. There's really, really fascinating ones, too, like ones that you wouldn't necessarily um, even know about. There's one written in MoonScript, which is a kind of a Lua scripting language, and uh, that's a really cool one. There's... Um, there, there are tiny little Vim-alikes. Um, yeah, there, there are all kinds of different open source editors out there. There's Kate, of course, and Gedit, which don't get near enough uh, attention from anybody. So, yeah, it doesn't matter what editor you use, especially as long as you're using an open source one. You're probably going to find that it's very extensible, flexible, configurable, and I'm sure it's going to make sensible choices which is a lot more than you can say of a lot of the text editors out there that aren't open source, where their their goals seem to be sort of, I don't know, maybe um, shortcuts into a, a bigger office suite or something, you know, and they, they save things in in not plain text, they, they save it in some other format, and, and you have to really work to just keep the thing as plain text. That that Those are annoying. Avoid those, um, but check out some of the open source ones. And who knows, after, um, after we're finished Slackware, maybe one of the topics I could do are different text editors, you know, a new text editor or two every week or something like that. Who knows? It could be interesting. Okay, so anyway, Emacs, how do you use it? What does it do? It is not as hard as you might think. It is a graphical application. That's that's one of the most important things to, to understand right off the right off the bat. It is a GUI application. Emacs is not I mean, it is. It has a mode for it, but it's not. Emacs is not natively or sort of naturally an in-terminal editor like Vim is. You know, you have Vim and then you have GVim. Well, Emacs is just it's Emacs, and then you have other ways of launching it that you might use. But but essentially, it is in its natural state a graphical application, which means you can use your mouse. Now, I realize that that's both like if you're coming from Vim then saying you can use your mouse is not actually a selling point, right? That's a step backward, because what you really want to do is you want to learn Emacs with a bunch of keyboard shortcuts so that you can get as much done as you would have gotten done in Vim. I'm just saying if you're either new to Unix-style text editors or you're new to Emacs and you just want to take it slow, then launching it as its natural graphical application and using the mouse more than you would probably do normally for for a, a text editor uh it's a 
it is an easy way to get started. So once you've launched Emacs, and I've launched it with a dash Q, so it ignores my configuration file. So I'm, I'm looking at, at stock Emacs with no changes. When you launch it, it gives you a little introductory screen, which I've already praised and also critiqued. Uh, it's different in the GUI mode than the terminal mode, which is quite nice. So the terminal mode get, gets you started with like the menu bar and, and, and sort of helps you around. This one, it, it sort of tells you, hey, this is Emacs. You can use your mouse. Um, of course, it uses terminology all its own. So to follow a link, that's so Emacs has the ability of having hypertext inside of Emacs. It is, um, it, it's like, you know, it's, it's sort of like reading HTML because you can click on, on, on highlighted words and it will take you to a different document. So that's kind of cool, really. Um, and I think not just one, not just a few Emacs users has sort of dreamt of, um, a hypertext space just based on Emacs rather than going through HTTP. Could you just sign on to an Emacs client and, and navigate a whole hypertext realm through through Emacs's um, syntax. Who knows? Um, so yeah, you can do that. And then there's a menu bar, and unfortunately, the menu bar um, is 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 very unique and it changes. So one menu bar is is going to look one way, and then you're into a different document, and it might have a different menu bar. I say that's unfortunate because it makes sort of approaching the application a little bit intimidating because things change often so it's very hard to sort of find your ground and yet it's actually an advantage because this means that Emacs is very very configurable it is very flexible and changes and and modifies itself to suit you and your current task better which is great so the file menu for instance has a couple of foreign looking concepts visit a new file what does that mean well, it means if you roll over, it says specify a new file's name, comma, to edit the file. What they really mean is to edit the file, comma, specify a, a, a file's name. And that keyboard shortcut is control X followed by a control F. So if I do control X and then F, it takes me to wherever I have launched Emacs from, which is not my home directory. So I have to back up. And I'll go into my demo directory, I guess. And I'll make a file called newfile.txt. So I'm just typing that in. I just typed in the, the, the path. And then I'm going to hit return. And now I'm staring at an empty buffer. And I can type just as normal. And it, it enters the text, just as you would expect. And if I wanted to save that file, I could go up to the file menu and go down to save, which says save current buffer to its file. Keyboard shortcut for that is control X followed by a control S. I've just saved it manu uh, manually with the mouse. I could do it as well with the keyboard, control X, control S, and now it's saved. So things are actually not as foreign as you might think. Like th this, that was a pretty standard workflow. File open or visit, file save. And in between there's some typing. So navigation in Emacs is centered around not the arrow keys. And it's funny when you start using these specialized text editors, how demanding you get and it's a real luxury to be that demanding i think you know like look i'm gonna open up kate it's a fine editor um and i'm gonna type in some stuff and in order to go to line one from line whatever i'm on six i'm on line six now i have to lift my hand off the home row and 
pull it over to the arrow key section on my keyboard, which, because I'm on a full keyboard, is, like, way over there, past the return and the shift and the right control. It's, it's near the number pad. It's between the, you know, the key, the keyboard and the, the number pad. So then I have to hit the up arrow six times, and now I'm, or five times, and then I'm on the first line. That's a lot of work. In Emacs, I don't have to take my hand off the, con the home row at all. I can just hit the control key and the P for previous to go to the previous line. Once I'm there, I can hit control N to go to the next line. Now that's weird, right? Because in a normal text editor, if I go back over to Kate here, if I hit control P, I get a printer uh, dialog box to, to print my document. And if I do control N, I get a new document, just like you would normally think you should have. That That's a normal, that's normal, right? But for Emacs, for whatever reason, control P and N are dominated by navigation. But if you really think about it, you realize that it makes a lot of sense because you're going to move up and down across lines a lot more often than you're going to print or even make a new document. And so to give these these easily e easy to remember shortcuts to, to an activity that you do frequently, I would say is, is quite sensible. Okay, so that's P and N, uh, and then you have other shortcuts as well. You want to get to the end of the line, like in Vim, you do a dollar sign to go to the end of the line. Uh, well, in Emacs, it's Control E, end line, I guess. You want to go back to the beginning of the line, Control A. I don't know what that's for, Control A. Uh, maybe because it's at the beginning of the home row, maybe? Could that be it? I don't know. Could be. Um, so that's A and E, beginning and the end of the line. You want to word, you want to move word by word? Well, that, interestingly, switches over to the Alt key, or the meta key, as they call it in Emacs. Alt-F goes forward. Alt, what is this? B, I think? Yeah, Alt-B. I'm, I'm translating things from the Dvorak keyboard to QWERTY. Um, I mean, I'm not, but but when I look at my keyboard, it looks like I'm hitting Alt-N, but that's actually the B on, on Dvorak. Um, so Alt-B goes back a word. You can also do that by character for the with a Control-F and a Control-B. Forward a character back a character with control. So yeah, there's a lot of different things to remember here. Um, key, keyboard shortcuts that you're not used to, control F, control B, alt F, alt B, what are the difference? When do you use one and not the other? Well, it's character versus word. Why, why character and then word? Why not word and then character? Who knows? Um, it's just, these are things that you you use and you remember. And if you don't use them, you don't remember them. But when you, once you start using them, then it becomes really, really natural. And it becomes really, really, it becomes a huge convenience because after a while you realize just how, how natural it becomes to, to be able to just move back and forth in your document without really thinking about it. And I know that you can, you can do all of these things on, a, on other editors as well. I mean, even Kate, which is a fine editor, uh, even Kate, like, I could get to the top of the document with uh, a page up, or I could get to the bottom of the document with a page down. I mean, I don't know if there's some secret shortcut, like if it's a, you know, this is a six-line document, so it's it's working pretty well. If this went many, many screenfuls, I don't I don't exactly know personally what the, the secret shortcut is to get, like, literally to the top of the document. I would just hold page up for a long time, I guess. Um, but, you know, there is a lot of movement there and then there's the home and the end key on on at least on a full keyboard there is and sometimes on, on a lot of times on laptops i don't know what a mac keyboard does for that anymore um 
it's, it's probably like a combination of, of keys probably accomplish the same thing in most applications. So you can do all this stuff in in Kate. You can do this in Vim. The, the, the motions of the hand are are variable. In Kate, obviously you are lifting your hand off the home row, you're going over to the to the to the sort of the special keys, uh, wherever they may be, whether they're like F in keys at the top of your key or you know um, at the top of the keyboard on, on a laptop or whether they're special dedicated keys on a full keyboard or, or what. Um, and then on Vim of course you're you're going up to the escape key a lot to, to get in and out of different modes. So, you know, there's there are little trade-offs here and there, and all I'm saying about Emacs is that it is one of the many options. And I'm not even saying it's the best option. I'm simply saying it is one of the options. For me, I started out on Vim. Uh, when I first started using Linux, it was Vim all the time, because that's what everyone was talking about, Vim. And so I, I took, I did the Vim tutor, got relatively good at it, and... Yeah, I started learning Vim, and then I got a job, and my boss said that he wanted to standardize tools across his team, his, like, including himself, a three-person team. And so that meant both of us uh, workers were going to use Emacs, because that's what my boss used. So he got us on Emacs, he taught us Git, taught us just enough of Emacs to get us going, and he was he was a really conscientious instructor. He he would come by and make sure that we had all the information that we needed. He ha- I had a legal uh, pad of paper on the left of my keyboard, and every time I learned something new, I would write that down. And it was usually, you know, there were keyboard shortcuts, and then there were some special things about uh, linting a file or or using in XML mode or you know some some special thing um, about Emacs or a Git a, about Git. So there was. A column for Emacs, a column for Git. And that was how I learned both of those tools. And once I started, because I was using Emacs at the job on the job, I realized that I was getting good at it. You know, because practice does make perfect. And it was it was something that I kind of developed an affinity for, just that motion of the hands. So as I say, there, there's not necessarily anything superior to the way that Emacs structures its keyboard shortcuts and in fact I think there's a really really strong argument that there that that it is not a great way that it structures its keyboard shortcuts because on modern keyboards at least um the control key is way the heck down at the bottom left of your keyboard or or maybe the bottom right or maybe both either way the contortion that you have to do t- for your hand to get to that key is almost painful I mean it really is it is it is a bad choice for a modifier. Alt would work a lot better. Um, so in other words, I feel in, a, in order to make Emacs really, really usable, you have to remap your caps lock key to be a control key. And there's, as far as I know, the only way to do that, well, there are half a dozen ways to do that, but none of them are in Emacs, which strikes me as odd. Um, I mean, I get that you can't reprogram your keyboard in Emacs, but I would have expected by now a feature in Emacs whereby you, the user, could decide what C and M stand for. I mean, after all, M currently stands for Alt, and C currently stands for Control. But what if I personally wanted, um, I don't know, Control to to be mapped to Alt instead, because I use that most, and then Alt, the one that I use less, to be mapped to Control? That, to me, would be a lot easier 
honestly, because um, Alt key is just to the left or right of the space bar, and that's just a, a quick little thumb move. That's easy to, to hit, whereas Control is a lot less convenient. Uh, and certainly, in order to reach Control, I don't think there's any... I, I think there would be very few people who could reach Control without moving their fingers off of the keys on the home row. So I don't... I, I would have expected Emacs by now to have the ability to just flop, flip-flop, control and alt. Not not on your keyboard, but inside of Emacs. If it receives an alt key, I should be able to tell it alt equals control and control equals alt, I, I would have thought. But apparently there's no way to do that. And I've looked. There is a extensive Emacs wiki with lots of different ways to remap your keys, but they're all assuming that you're doing it in the uh, you know on the OS level. Now I'll admit, I mean, I I didn't I didn't remap my control and caps lock key or my caps lock key to a control for years, and I was a happy Emacs user, so it's not a requirement. I feel like it's a requirement for me, but then again, quite honestly, I kind of feel like it's a requirement for me to remap control or caps lock to control just to use a computer at all. Like I can't, I I I struggle to use Bash without remapping caps lock or or anything i just it's just such a natural place for control to be i don't know why there's still the caps lock there it's just weird so i remap it not just for emacs if you don't remap it for emacs then you will find yourself typing differently and the whole home row like keeping your hand on the home row thing it come becomes a little bit violated however um, I feel like because it's the left hand, at least for me, it's not such an egregious thing. It's, so it's it's it, you're just you're just sort of you're just bouncing off the home home row. You know, it's it's not that big of a deal. So I don't know. It's simpler. And for me, if in a pinch, I can always because I I am right-handed, it's easy for me to sort of if I'm out of the way with my left hand, then I can just kind of do something with my right hand as well. So I don't know. It, it all kind of works, and I used to think of it m- more like playing a piano because that's kind of how it feels after a while. You're, you're, you know, the keyboard shortcuts aren't necessarily all in one place, and so your hands are moving around the keyboard, but they're moving around this keyboard. They're not moving back and forth between some other section of the keyboard or some other device like a mouse. It's, it's all sort of centered in this space, and I feel like there's kind of coherence. A sort of coherency in a way to how your your hands start to learn to move in order to make Emacs work really well. Okay, so before the coffee break, some reiteration. Emacs, it's a graphical application. Use it as a graphical application. You're not cheating if you're using Emacs as a graphical application. Just get used to it as a graphical application. And once you do that, trust me, using it as a terminal-only application, which is Emacs-NW, uh, makes a lot more sense. I tried to learn Emacs as a terminal application first, and I found it much more difficult than using Emacs as a graphical application. Learn it as a graphical application, cheat, use your mouse, do all of the things that you hate just to learn Emacs. And once you learn it, then you'll have the flexibility. You can use it with a graphic but no mouse. You can use it in a terminal with no mouse. You can do all. You can use the menu bar. You can ignore the menu bar. It won't matter by then because you'll have all the keyboard shortcuts down, you'll have all the functions memorized, and so on. Navigation is pretty simple, and it's stuff that you can learn from the help file, the Emacs little tutorial uh, file that they have. It's it's very much like the uh, Vim Tutor, but it's for Emacs. Very easy. 
that's just the Emacs tutorial. It's the thing that you'll 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 be offered on the on the first screen that you ever encounter. Okay, so that's that. Um, I could go through random shortcuts, but I don't feel like that's useful because you'll forget them. So I say just step through the Emacs tutorial. Tutorial. It'll introduce you to navigation. It will uh, introduce you to common keyboard shortcuts like Control K to cut, Control Y, uh, cont Control Y to yank, um, Meta A, Meta E, Control A, Control E, and so on. Control V, whatever that is. What's the opposite of Control V? I don't actually remember. Um, Control L, something like that. I don't know. We'll have to get to the middle of the screen. But anyway, there's a bunch of um, useful things, and the way that you learn them are the way that you learn them. You know, to this day. I don't really know how to get to the top of my document other than escape, uh, I guess that's a less than symbol. And I mean, I'm sure that, I, I'm, I'm sure that must be possible to do probably just with alt shift less than. It sure is. Wow, that's pretty cool. I've never done that before, literally. Because when I learned how to get to the top of the document, uh, my alt key wasn't working in that, mo in that, in that situation. And so I learned escape, shift, less than and so that forever is the keyboard shortcut and it's a weird thing you know it's like weird because it's not the most efficient way to do it especially now that i've just discovered that i could do it with alt shift greater than or less than and greater than to go to top of the bottom of the document but i learned it one way and that's the way that i'm comfortable to be to use it and so that's what i use to this day and you can do the same thing learn what you need and then and and internalize it and then that'll be part of your little keyboard playing dance of emacs and it becomes like second nature okay i could go on and on but we should have a coffee break and then let's talk about um we'll talk about emacs more because that's what this episode's about so let's go have coffee <laughs> talk a little bit more about Emacs. First, I want to address some changes in the RSS feed that you may or may not have noticed. A couple of people did notice, mostly because it was causing problems, but those have been resolved now as far as I know. Feel free to contact me if, if you're experiencing a problem that has not been resolved. But I have changed the, um, the way that my shows are posted. I had to rework the script PodWrite that I use to post my, script, my, my shows. I had to rework it a little bit, so because originally I, when I wrote Podwrite, um, I could not fathom a reality where I would have the same codec for two different feeds. It just seemed obvious that if you had a, a feed, then it had a unique codec, because otherwise, why would you have that feed? And lately, because of the whole um, voice-only option, I, I've... I've replaced the speaks feed, which used to be the speaks codec, and, and in a feed called SPX, which is the file extension of a speaks file, I've replaced that with the Opus codec. So now the the assumption 
that the extension of the episode being posted also mapped to the name of the feed that was being posted, it was incorrect. Now I had an Opus episode going to some to a file called spx.atom.xml or spx.xml for RSS. So that became a problem for me, and so I had to rework sort of how those those two things were were joined together. Um, and the the answer ended up being in a configuration file listing the codecs and then listing the the feeds for which they were destined in the same order and then bash later goes through and parses that config file and makes a little array to figure out which file goes to which feed so and it doesn't do it by file extension anymore it does it by uh, a tag so my tags uh, in the episodes you, you might notice from file names now are things like uh, GNU World Order underscore 440, and then a tag is underscore opus, and then the file extension in that case is dot opus. Uh, in the other one, it might be underscore og dot og, which seems very redundant and s- very puzzling until you realize at some point there's a file called GNU World Order underscore 440 underscore spx dot opus, and that's that's the the key right there, the underscore SPX means that even though this is an Opus file, it could be any kind of file, but whatever it is, it's got a tag of underscore SPX, therefore it gets assigned to some other some other feed. Um, so if you notice that the file names have changed, that is why if you're having problems with it, I was originally using a plus sign for for the, the tag, and it turns out that some pod catchers out there, or some RSS feeders or something, were were eating up the plus sign, and so it was breaking the link. So now it is an underscore instead, which is perfectly fine with me. I, I only chose a plus because it looked unique and different, and I thought, well, that'll be recognizable as special data. But it, it doesn't matter. Like My parser will pick up whatever character I choose, and underscore seems like a really, really safe one. So... That's why you're seeing new file names. If you've noticed, if not, that's fine. It shouldn't affect you one way or the other. But I guess this does serve as a reminder that if you are one of those people who likes to listen to podcasts as you're going to sleep at night, or or at times where you might fall asleep, then there is a Speaks feed, which is not Speaks codec, but um, an Opus codec, so very, very small file, very high quality for its size, and there's no music, it's just my voice. It means that the coffee break you'll hear about 30 seconds of silence, but other than that, it's just a, it's a perfectly acceptable voice-only version of this show with no abrupt music. Not at the end, not in the middle, not at the beginning, just no music. So there you go. Okay, so that's that. Now let's talk about Emacs. I want to talk about five things about Emacs that are really, really great about Emacs. And as I've learned, there's no way in the world to find one feature that no one else has. That just doesn't exist. The minute you say, well, Emacs can do such and such and nothing else can, then someone comes up with an, an idea or a way to do that thing somewhere else and in some unexpected place. So... I've learned not to even bother, and that's fine because it doesn't matter. Good ideas should propagate. It's better when they do. So it, the, the 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 selling point of any good text editor in this context isn't the the one unique feature that it has. It, I think it's a collection of a bunch of features that I like, 
And if you're not going to use Emacs, which is fine, as I say, there's no moral imperative that you use Emacs. You can use whatever open source editor you choose. I mean, heck, honestly, you can use whatever editor you want, open source or otherwise. This is an open source podcast, though, so so I'm going to promote open source editors, and I think they are the, the smarter and safer option. I've I've been down the path of, of non-open tools before, and it has um, screwed me over every single time. So I just advise against it. Emacs has a couple of features that I quite like, and I'm going to urge you to find the equivalent of these features in whatever tool you are considering using and and take advantage of those. Because I think that's the, the this is a collection of sort of, I don't know, I guess power user options that you should be on the lookout when you're trying to really, really decide on what editor you're going to get involved with, potentially for the rest of your life, right? I mean, I... I I don't know when I'm going to stop using Emacs, and so like choosing an editor, it, it's an absurdly significant thing. I mean, you can you can switch, you can change away from one if it's not working for you. But I think a lot of times choosing that editor, um, especially in in the Linux world, it's a it's a big deal because you're probably going to be with it for a really really long time. So one of the things that I really like about Emacs is that it is or that it has, rather, um, packages and plugins. Now, that may not seem like a very unique thing, and and it isn't. I mean, a lot of editors have borrowed that idea from Emacs, in fact. I mean, as I understand it, Emacs is one of the early editors to have this concept of being extensible. And the reason it is, the reason Emacs has that and, and is that is because Emacs is a Elisp runtime. We've talked about Lisp before in previous episodes. We've talked about REPLs a little bit. Emacs essentially is an E-Lisp, an Emacs Lisp REPL. So if you can imagine someone writing an editor that runs in Python idle, for instance, then you might think, okay, well, so I'm going to, I'll, I'll, I'll launch this Python editor, this, this, you know, I don't know, idle max, and and you end up at a Python prompt. And so now you can type things into your into your text editor, but you could tell Python to execute that text if you wanted. And that would then change how your editor behaves. So for instance, let's say you're in this fictional idle max and you type in import requests. Well now your text editor, idle max, can fetch URLs from the internet. You couldn't do that before, but now that you've typed import requests, which is the Python module to um, communicate over HTTP and and HTTPS, now you can. So you've just literally you've reprogrammed the environment that you're working in. And the same that's that's for Emacs as well. Uh, long before any of this idea, th- these ideas, Emacs was yes, it was a text editor, but it, it had the ability to evaluate code if you wanted it to, and to, to internalize that code. It, it, it was a big deal then, and frankly, it's a big deal now. Um, it's a bigger deal if you're going to actually write Emacs Lisp. If you're not, then then it's still a big deal because there are a lot of people out there who are writing Emacs Lisps, Lisp code snippets, and you can copy and paste Lisp. You don't need to know it to, to use it, so you can copy and paste that stuff, put it into Emacs, and have Emacs evaluate it. And the most common way to do that is just to put it into your emacs configuration file your dot emacs file um and and then your editor behaves differently and the, it's it's really really it, it's huge honestly now, when i started using emacs that was the that was how you did it 
there were some projects out there called Melpa or Elpa or something that had like repositories of code snippets of commonly used code snippets that you could download. Uh, I never got into that until Emacs 24, I think, or 26, I don't know, um, where the where it integrated this 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 command called package, and this kind of opens up a whole other concept, a whole other side of Emacs that I didn't even talk about before the coffee break, which which is Alt X. So uh, let me let me launch a fresh copy of Emacs here. Get rid of that. Actually, I won't get rid of that. Okay, so launching Emacs again. So I type in, I type uh, Alt X. So that's MX in 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 um, in Emacs terminology. Uh, I type in MX, and I get at the very bottom of the Emacs window in that little mini buffer, which is like sort of that line bef- below the status bar. Um, MX, and now I've got a prompt. It doesn't tell me what it's waiting for, unfortunately. So I've got a prompt, an MX prompt. I don't know what that means. Well, that is your window into sort of hidden functions of Emacs. These are these are there are things in Emacs that get that get invoked either directly or more commonly through keyboard shortcuts. So, for instance, if I hit Control G, that that maps to some function. Um, if I hit and the function that it maps to is cancel cancel everything stop so that's control g that's your get out of jail free card control g gets you out of everything that you're doing in emacs it just cancels what you started doing so uh, for instance if i do control x and then control f which is the the find file thing right so i could instead of control instead of of typing that i could type mx and then find dash file return and then type in the file that I want to find, which uh, in this case I think I started what was it tilde slash demo slash new file, and there it is. Now I've I've just opened I've just visited that file that I created before the coffee break, and I did that not with Control X Control F I did it with MX, and then I invoked the same function find dash file function that Control X Control F has been mapped to. So for every keyboard shortcut that you use in Emacs, there is a in somewhere in the back end there's a function for that, which makes sense. I mean it makes total sense, right? But that's how that works. So it's it may stand to reason in a way that there are other functions that aren't mapped to keyboard shortcuts. So for instance, one of my favorites, well I guess one of the easiest ones is mx and then the word shell. That opens up a terminal, a little shell a terminal window, a buffer, a terminal prompt in a buffer in Emacs. So it splits your Emacs window into half and the bottom half is now a terminal and the top half is is your your um your text document or whatever you had open. And to get back and forth between the two, of course, you can just click. Like I said, it's a graphical application. You can just use the mouse. If you're if you're if you want to learn more, of course, you could do control X O for other, but but if you didn't know that, you can just click. So again, I just urge you to remember that that when you get started with Emacs, sometimes it's just easier to, to do what sort of like is the obvious thing or the thing it's telling you to do. Um it, I don't know that it actually tells you how to switch but yeah, the obvious thing is to click. So um, so that, that opens up a terminal, and you can do things like ls. 
and there's my what PWD that that's my demo directory right there. I'm in my demo directory, and I I could I could locate files that way, or I could remove files or trash files. I could rename files, all kinds of things. You know, it's a terminal. You can do everything. I could get my um, whatever it is, uh, what is uh, IP address. I could get my um, I could list block to see what devices are connected to my system, and so on. So it's it's a terminal. That's what it does. So that's a really cool one, and that's just mx space or not space, but but you know mx to get the prompt and then the word shell, and that opens up a shell for you. Um, there are many others. I mean, there are whole other applications available. My the 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 one that sort of signaled the beginning of the end for me in terms of being a casual Emacs user and being a dedicated Emacs user was uh, in addition to shell. That was one of them. But the other one was Dered, D-I-R-E-D. Dered is a file manager inside of Emacs. So, you know, I mean, early on when I was a casual user, I would find myself darting in and out of Emacs to do trivial tasks. So I might I might want to, I don't know, rename a file or, or just kind of find where a file exists on my system. And so I might I might dart out to Dolphin, the KDE file manager, and, and poke around and try to find where that one file is that I started the other day and just don't exactly remember where it is now. Um, or I might copy a file, you know, whatever you do in a file manager. And, and that kept me sort of, you know, that kept Emacs as kind of an application that I used. But when I discovered that Dered existed, I realized that I never had to leave Emacs again. Like you, you have you have your file manager, you have a shell, and you have Emacs. That's basically all you need in life. Um, and so the ability to to open up a folder, to review all the different files, to see the user uh, ownership and permissions and sizes, and you can rename files and you can create new directories with just Shift Plus or or I guess you know the plus sign which requires you to hold the shift key down to, to access that. Uh, you can you can create uh, new files. Well, new files, you just visit a file in that location. But you can create new directories. You can rename things. You can remove things. Yeah, I mean, all the things that you can do in a file manager, you can do in Dura-Ed. And, and that's just within your Emacs window. So anyway, my point, my actual point, was that Emacs has really easy sort of plug-in or, or package management. And and with version, like, whenever that happened, you could hit MX and then the word package and then dash, and then I'm going to hit tab a couple of times for it to autocomplete. And it looks like there are a couple of different options. There's one list-packages. So package-list-packages opens up a list of packages available to be installed. And this is from... A couple of different servers, like I said, there were, or I think I said, there were, um, there were some side projects that that aggregated a bunch of useful plugins, and they've been integrated here. And so there are all kinds of things. There's Magit, Magit, M-A-G-I-T. It's a Git integration in Emacs. There's uh, EMMS, which is a really fun one where you can control a multimedia player, like your music player, through Emacs. Um, there's chess, apparently, uh, there's in XML mode, which I use a whole lot, there's markdown mode, there's Perl mode, there's shell script mode, I think that one actually is built in, but yeah, there's, there's all kinds of things, um, and, and they range from major reworkings of, of sort of how, 
how you interface with Emacs, uh, to to auto completion, to spell checkers, to syntax highlighting. It just it differs from from plugin to plugin. But the important thing is that they're easy to find and they're easy to install. Previously, you really did just kind of have to hunt down code snippets and sort of paste them into your config file. These make it pretty much a no-brainer. And, I mean, the idea of having an editor that's not extensible at this point is, I feel, kind of kind of unfathomable. I just don't feel like you could you could live a life with an editor that's not extensible, at least for little things. I mean, similar to how an, a web browser without some kind of plug-in system, I just can't even imagine it. So... Your editor shouldn't be any different. And there are lots of editors that have plugins. I mean, Atom.io does, um, VS Codium does, Eclipse does. You could use Eclipse as a, as a, as an editor. I'm not really super up on Kate's plugin management system, but I do know that it has a plugin manager in configure, in, in uh, settings configure Kate. So I don't know, maybe I'll learn more about that, uh, when the K series of Slackware comes around, but, uh, yeah, extensibility is really important for those editors, I think. Make sure that the one that you're choosing has that as a feature. The next one is integration. I've already talked about this, really. I mean, being able to launch a shell from within Emacs, a system shell, uh, is huge. I mean, that's that's huge because it just lets you stay within your editor but also get a, a little tunnel out into the rest of your OS. And DirEd is is amazing. The, the ability to, to create new directories and move files around from within the editor is it means that you you know it's it's your OS is accessible from your editor. And I realize that this violates the concept of doing one thing and doing it well and, and Linux should never you know Linux apps should never ever be able to do two things. But for this is this is convenience. This is what we want. Um, so system integration, I think, n- and not just system integration. I mean, also integration with other things like the Magit mode or Magit mode or whatever however you say it. The the thing that lets you understand where you are on your branches of Git from within Emacs. I mean, it's 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 great. It's a beautiful and just sort of a natural thing that you don't really think about once you have it installed and you miss it so much when you don't have it installed. So integration is really important. Look for that in your editor. The third thing that I really, really appreciate about Emacs is what they call tramp mode and, and broadly speaking, remote editing. Tramp mode in Emacs is, it's essentially a, it's an SSH prompt or, or it's, it's a file system over SSH. So control X, control F to visit a file. But instead of just visiting a file on your system, you can do a slash SSH colon clatu at 192.168.1.152 colon tilde slash example.txt. And now you've just opened up example.txt over on that system over there, and you're editing it in Emacs. Is it, does this make sense for you? Maybe it doesn't. I mean, Maybe it would be easier to just go out to your desktop and fish or, you know, remote con- connect or, or whatever system you use to get to your other system and, and just, and then, and then click on the file that you've, you know, that you can now see in your file manager and edit it in your local Emacs. I mean, that's essentially doing the same thing. But Emacs does have the ability to sort of get past all of that. And if you have your SSH keys configured, then it can even it, it'll log in to the remote system and help you auto complete your path. So it's just it's brilliantly. I mean, this is really 
back to integration, honestly. But at the same time, it, it is so significant to me that it's is it's kind of its own thing. I, I don't know how many other editors have that feature at all. I mean, I'm sure there are some. I don't want to ever claim that one application has something that some that no other application has. But uh, this does seem pretty unique to me, and uh, so I don't I don't think. I can say like, oh, make sure that your editor has tramp mode or you know whatever, but but definitely sort of think about remote editing for, and how that integrates into your to your editing experience because it can be a a really really nice thing. I mean, it beats the alternative of constantly copying a file over from that system to this one and then trying to remember which one is the most up to date and so on. Um, it's just it just lets you go straight to the file that you want and edit it. And Emacs has a client mode, and it, it, it has a lot of things that enables you to kind of abstract the editing process away from, you know, just Windows and files. And that's a powerful, powerful ability. Fourth thing that I really like is syntax and linting. Most, many editors have highlight, syntax highlighting. That That's almost a non-feature at this point, I feel. And yet... It is a feature. A lot of editors, including Emacs, you know, you have to install the schema or whatever for the the highlighting that you want because it's not all built in, which is fair. But the the ability to have your editor highlight things for you is just such an important thing because, like, half the time when you're when you're typing something, like you know, when you make a mistake in 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 code, half the time it's just a stupid syntax mistake, right? You just, you just forgot your semicolon. You just forgot um, to close a parenthesis or whatever, or to indent something. So if your editor can help you accomplish that, then let your editor help. And the way that editors can help sometimes is just by visually giving you clues when, to, to, to remind you when something has or has not happened. And so if your variables are all colored um, yellow or, or wheat uh, and your functions are highlighted blue and so on, then that's a lot, you know, there, there are, and, and your comments are all gray or whatever. That's that's a quick and easy way for you to catch errors before they get committed to your file. Linters are even are even better. Um, Emacs doesn't have linters for everything, I don't think, but maybe. Uh, but, but it does have, like, linters for, for some really nice things, like for Inex... In XML mode, it can follow a schema and tell you when you've done something illegal. Uh, I'm talking not illegal like the laws of the land, but within that schema of XML. Like if you try to, in DocBook, you try to put a para tag, it's a paragraph tag, a paragraph tag inside of, um, without opening a, a, a section tag, it will tell you. And, and that, that tag will be highlighted red. And, and you'll know that that's, that's going to break. When you try to process that XML, it's not going to process because there's something out of schema there. So it's really, really handy. And then finally, just once again, like how many functions does your text editor actually provide you? Um, there are things that Emacs does for me that that I never knew to, to need, that I never thought to, to want in an editor. So for instance, in, in Emacs, I could type... Um, I can type alt and then uh, apostrophe e, and I get one of those little e with a, an acute, or no, what is it, a grave uh, thing above it? Actually, I don't even know what it's called. So let's do this. mx describe dash car, c-h-a-r. That opens a little buffer in the second half of my, of my Emacs window, 
with a description of everything about that character that I could need to know. Position 145 of 145, column 0. Character E, displayed as E with a little thing. Code point 233, hash 0351, hash XE9. Character set, it's a Unicode character. ISO 10646. Code point in character is 0XE9, script Latin, syntax W, which means word, category, uh, it tells me a bunch of stuff about it, and then finally it says to input, type control X8 return E9, or control X8 return, and then type Latin, space small, space letter, space E, space with, space acute. So it is an acute. And it goes on and on, and it tells me everything about that character. It's an amazing amount of information about that character, how to get that character in my editor, how how my system is interpreting it, how it's encoded. All that kind of information is available there. That has saved my life because – maybe not my life. It has saved me a lot of trouble because there have been YAML files that I've had or Python files – where there have been spaces, but those spaces weren't actually spaces. Those spaces were special spaces inserted into the thing by another text editor that is not open source, that runs on a Macintosh system that's not mine, and it screwed up the whole thing, because it wasn't a valid space. It was some other space. I forget the name of the space that it was. It was like a, it was, it was like one of those invisible spaces. Uh, all spaces are invisible, but... It's a space that was like, I don't know, I want to say non-breaking space, but it wasn't that. It was something different. And it was it was exclusively because of that character that the YAML script or the YAML file, the playbook, was not executing. Because there was this non-space character, and everything that you tried to parse it through or send it through would would fail with an illegal indentation. That was the error. It wasn't detecting necessarily, I think, that there was a illegal character it was just saying the indentation was wrong well the indentation looked right to everyone and it was only wrong because there was an invisible character that wasn't a space and it wasn't anything nothing found it other than emacs that was that was the thing that eventually uncovered the problem and the person was notified uh, and they stopped using that particular closed source text editor for YAML. Solves a lot of problems. So um, that is Emacs. And so I guess, yeah, the, the, the fifth thing there was were the, the, the features, you know, the, the functions. Like, what, what does your editor offer you? I think, I think in a tool that you use a lot, you, you should have really high expectations. You should demand a lot of that tool. And Emacs, I really do feel um, it, 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 it is able to deliver a heck of a lot. Like no matter what your expectation, what the de- what what kind of demands you're making of it, Emacs can do a, a surprising number of of things for you. And if it can't out of the box, then it probably can with a couple of Elisp uh, modules or pl- plugins, whatever you want to call them. So yeah, I mean, if you're interested in Emacs at all, it is I I can highly recommend it. I I. It has definitely changed the way that I use my computer. I don't know that it's, you know, I, I don't, I'm not convinced at all that it is, that it's the only way that would have changed the way that I use my computer. Like, I, I, I think without Emacs, I would find something else that does 80% of the things, and I would find workarounds for the other 20% of the things, and it would be fine. I would love my computer life in that 
universe. So it would be fine. But in this universe, I have Emacs. It does all the things that I want it to do. There's still potential for it to do more. And that's an exciting prospect. Like the idea that if I keep working at Lisp, I could, I could, I could extend this thing even further. That's exciting, and 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 it's something that I, I really enjoy, and and maybe you will too. There are features that it doesn't do, like your other editor. You know, like I was I was talking to someone who was used to uh, Vim. It was Black Kernel actually, uh, and and he wanted certain features that just it, uh, somehow it was you know the operation was different, and it just didn't quite feel right, and that's fine. Like. If if there's another editor that does the thing in the way that you want it to do, go use that editor. If it's open source, definitely go use that editor. But if you're looking for something different, if you're looking for something powerful, try Emacs. You might like it. You might become uh, quite fond of it. And it, it might change the way that you compute. That is it for the E section. E for, e for Emacs in the Slackware software series is finished. That was all. I could probably go on because there's a lot to talk about Emacs, but 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 I think that's enough. You get the idea. It's a cool editor. Don't go in for the the classic Vim versus Emacs thing. It's it's overblown. Nobody nobody cares. You shouldn't care either. If you're interested in Emacs, use it. If you're not, don't. It's a cool application. I can vouch for it. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time for the F series. That is F for FAQ. Thanks for listening. My name's Klaatu. You can reach me anytime over email with feedback or comments, tips, or just to say hi. My email address is klaatu at slackermedia.info. You can also reach me on the Mastodon network, not klaatu, at mastodon.xyz. The show's intro and outro music is by Fat Chance Lester. You can find their music on bandcamp.com or on gnuworldorder.info in the archive you'll find a music directory containing the album from which this music has been extracted until next time thanks for listening and keep the source open At this point, you probably know just about as much about it as we do. <laughs>